Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 102 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, let's start off with the game flight. The Canucks flew into Florida to play one of the best teams in the league, the Florida Panthers. Unfortunately, they were pretty short-handed due to a COVID outbreak. They end up losing 2-1. Alec Chason was your lone goal scorer. And despite an incredible effort from Spencer Martin, first start in nearly five years, the Canucks couldn't get him a win. Canucks outshoot the Blues 39-17, but fall 3-1 after Tanner Pearson opened the scoring. Nice to see Petey get a helper, but Mikey DiPietro is still looking for his first win as well. The Canucks took a 2-0 lead into the third period and unfortunately fell 3-2 to the Oilers in overtime. Elias Pettersson had an absolutely ripper of a goal. And once again, Spencer Martin stood on his head, but the Canucks couldn't get him the victory. Well, at least two of the three losses were in extra time, so get a couple of points out of them at least. And considering the amount of players that were in COVID protocol for the last three games, I'll take that as as a pretty big win for this team. I mean, I think this team showed a lot of heart and grit considering some of the top-end talent they had been missing. Yeah, the game uh, against Edmonton last night, that was a tough one. I thought they had that, and I really wanted to see them get the win for Martin there. Yeah, I mean, Martin had, what, was it close to 50 saves, wasn't it? Or, you know, wasn't there like almost 50 shots against on him? Uh, he played 50. There you go. He played amazing, but unfortunately, you know, the Canucks fell apart in the third period and then obviously ended up uh, l- losing the extra point to Edmonton in overtime. Well, we got a lot of Canucks talk coming up on this episode. We have a guest again for the first time in a while. We have Dan Mackles joining us for a conversation about the Canucks. Yeah, it's a really good conversation with Dan. Uh, Dan's a really good guy, super easy to talk to. And if you're not following him on Twitter already or haven't seen some of his viral videos he's posted to Twitter, uh, make sure you're giving him a follow. Uh, and yeah, we get into... The Canucks announcement of a new GM, the hiring of Emily Costengay, and all things Canucks, really. Yeah, it's a pretty fun chat. We got lots coming up here to do with the Canucks. Um, first of all, Doug, uh, start continuing our uh, tradition of talking about the outro track from the previous episode. Get a little bit of our music in here. Uh, well, you edited the last one, so why don't you tell us a bit about the track? Yeah, so uh, we've already used a couple of his songs in previous outro tracks, but it, because this was like a collaborative album, I feel like it's not really the same, but it's from the album Bandana featuring Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib. And then I went with the instrumental version because I think the instrumental version often works better for the outro tracks. So it's a Mad Lib beat, essentially. Uh, the song's called Cataracts. And there's actually a really crazy beat flip in the song that we didn't even get to in the outro. So if you were to go to the Spotify playlist and check it out, the, the the beat flip that happens, it actually almost sounds like an entirely different song. We didn't get to that part because the outro ended before then. But yeah, it's a really cool groove. And you know how I love my silent breaks. 
uh, in those outro tracks. It kind of highlights when you and I are talking about certain things. And yeah, I just thought it fit really well. Good tune. And yeah, we definitely used Madlib before. He's he's certainly uh, becoming a staple on, or at least a, at least a repeat offender in our uh, outro tracks. Yeah, I mean, he's he's so prevalent and he's worked with so many other, you know, MCs and he's just one of those guys. It's it's just super easy to pull pull a song up from him that some of it is a project he's done on his own. This project, you know, it's Freddie Gibbs and Madlib, but it's more essentially a Freddie Gibbs album than a Madlib album. He just did all the production on it, but uh yeah, I mean, Madlib's just that guy to me. He's he's one of the best in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Good stuff. He's uh, he's very much uh, one of the best beat producers, uh, I think, ever. He's certainly in a league of his own. I love the Blue Note stuff he does as well. Yeah, yeah. We actually uh, we used one of his tracks for an outro track way back when. I think that was actually a track that we gave a Canuck ticket away to. Uh, was the person who could tell us the name of that song. And I believe it was actually Ted from the PP1 podcast who uh, got the answer correct, but unfortunately he wasn't able to make the trip from Kelowna to Vancouver to cash in on the ticket. And I think his co-host, Braden Ursel, ended up cashing in on that prize and came to the game with us. I believe it was the Burroughs Ring of Honor game, actually. It was, uh, but the track, I think that was actually a Groove Armada track uh, that we used. I think it was uh, the Sun Chutcher with uh, Jay Rue uh, doing the vocals. I think it was that one, but we'll have to go back and check our records for that one. They all kind of blur together. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. I think Brayden won it, the ticket for that, but the week pre- previous, we did use Mad Lib, a track from the Blue Notes album, and... Ted won it, but he couldn't make it. So I think we carried over to the next Ah. week and said, hey, we'll do it this week. Who can tell us the name of the outro track this week? And that's when Braden cashed in. That that sounds that sounds right. Geez, that was a that was a long time ago. Back when we were going to games. Um, Hey, crazy week in football, man. Before we start talking uh, hockey, um, how about this weekend in football? Have you ever seen anything like it? No, man. It was honestly, I think a lot of people are saying it's arguably one of the best slate of games we've ever seen uh, of football. I mean, you had the two games Saturday and then the two games Sunday. And the Bengals, you know, upset the Titans, who were the first seed in the AFC. And I think that's great. And seeing that Bengals team get to a conference final, uh, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, uh, you know, they look like they're a team up on the rise. I don't think they'll, you know, get over the mountain this year, but. You know, they're on the ascend. And then obviously, I mean, that the highlight of the weekend, I mean, the, I mean the, all the games were good, but I mean, the real highlight of the weekend was the Bills-Chiefs game, which was just back and forth a slugfest. I compared it to like Ali Frazier way back when, you know, that's what it felt like. And even that, before that, the, the game between the Bucks and the Rams, I mean, it felt like the Rams were doing everything in their power to try to lose that game and, you know... Stafford hit a long bomb to Cooper Cup to get them in field goal range for them to win that game. But yeah, it was an incredible, incredible weekend of football. Three walk-off field goals and a, and a walk-off touchdown. I mean, that's just nuts. And uh, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun on Sunday. Uh, who are you picking in the games on Sunday? For me, I think it's hard not to go with the Chiefs and the Rams. I think both those teams just seem like they got both sides of the both sides of the ball figured out. I think the Chiefs' defense has improved vastly in the past year than it was last year, and the Chiefs' offense is still incredible. And then 
The Rams, I think their offense has improved quite a bit this year with the addition of Matt Stafford, and they added some huge pieces to their defensive core. And to me, it would make sense. You're going to have the Super Bowl in L.A. The halftime show is like the who's who of L.A. rappers outside of Eminem, who's obviously from Michigan, Detroit. But generally speaking, it's like the who's who of L.A. rappers. Uh, the Rams playing in the Super Bowl in L.A. last year, I believe, was the first time we ever had the Super Bowl host, at least in the modern era, uh, actually win the Super Bowl. And I think the Rams have a very good shot this year to do the same thing. I think the Rams lost both games to the Niners this year, so that will be interesting. I would love to see the Bengals upset the Chiefs, but I think right now, yeah, Chiefs and Rams, I think that's the the safe bets right now. I'm not willing to stick my neck out on the Bengals as much as I'd like it. They got sacked nine times against the Titans, and I'm not uh, so sure that, that something like that isn't going to happen again. Um, so I think uh, the Chiefs and I think the Rams, but I think it'll be a close one. I think the Niners are going to give them some problems but i think this time the rams are gonna finally be able to beat them should be fun i know what i'm gonna be doing on sunday i'm gonna be parking myself down and i can only hope that the afc and nfc championship games are as good as last weekend was i mean there's no way right i mean that was arguably some of the best football games i think you know people have ever seen i mean there was a game i think that was referenced it was between the chargers and the dolphins i believe in the in the 80s that a lot of people thought it was a conference game as well that i think a lot of people thought was one of the best games in history but i mean the games this past weekend were absolutely amazing i agree with you i would love to see the Bengals uh beat the chiefs i don't think it's happening but the Bengals are on the rise and if you're a cincinnati Bengals fan and you've gone through decade upon decade of losing you should be pretty excited for what the future holds for you yeah it's and uh, i mean it's uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i love the burrow chase uh connection um also i mean it's been cool to watch uh the some of the tennis down in australia uh, on the men's side you had the number nine and number 14 seeds they're both canadians unfortunately they're both out losing in five sets but uh man it was fun to watch i don't know how much of the tennis you watch but felix Augier and uh dennis shapovalov both having a hell of a tournament it's nice to see that as well yeah i mean i love the canadian content uh it's sad that you know both shapovalov and philip Auger, uh aliasim i believe is how you pronounce his name they're both out unfortunately uh and then i mean i think of <laughs> It's funny. It's not funny. I think it's a good thing, but it's the one thing that kind of sucks about the Aussie Open this year is I think the biggest storyline to come out of it is uh, Djokovic being deported out of Australia. That's kind of like the headline, and it's kind of like overshadowed the tournament up to this point, I think. Um, I think it's hilarious that the Australian government, and good for them, like I think it's hilarious in a good way that they deported him since he's not vaxxed and. Uh, I understand why they did that since they have such stringent policies and vaccines and, you know, they're not letting regular travelers go to the country unless they're vaccinated. So why should they let this celebrity tennis player come in if he's not vaccinated? That's the only thing for me is I feel like it's kind of that whole storyline's overshadowed the tournament a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, but it's still being uh, it's still being a good tournament. Um before we get uh, Dan on the line here, uh, what do you think? Have you had a chance to look at this Canadian men's hockey team at all? I have not. I know there's a few young guys on the team. Like, I know Mason McTavish made the team. Um, 
Owen Power. Owen Power. Uh, and then there's some like old names. I, I think Josh Hosang made the team as well, um, yep. which I know Toronto Leafs fan, you know, Maple Leafs fans being in Toronto, you know, I've heard a ton of like their people here talking about Josh Hosang. And it's like, dude, he hasn't even been playing for the Leafs. He's been on the Marlies. And I, I think he's played relatively well for the Marlies uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to get excited for the Olympics when NHL players aren't going, unless you were doing like a junior Olympics, right? And it was all junior players going, which is what they used to do back in the day. Uh, unfortunately, they don't, they don't do that anymore. I mean, that one Forsberg goal scored against Corey Hirsch, which they actually ended up turning into a stamp in Sweden. That was an Olympic gold medal uh, game-winning goal that Forsberg scored. Uh, so for me, I would like it if they would just do the junior players, um, but that's not the case. It's cool that there's some young guys going to the tournament this year. I think the Russian factor, you know, with a lot of those guys in the KHL, I think the Russians are probably going to be the favorite again to win the gold medal, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I'll still watch it. It kind of feels more like a Spengler Cup team. And uh, speaking of stamps, you know they made a stamp of uh, Pavel Dimitra's shootout goal here in Vancouver from the uh, 2010 Olympics. Uh, and I was at that game when the Slovakia beat Russia, and they uh, made a stamp out of that one too. Oh, no, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun game. Uh, and the few Slovak fans, they were going nuts. I mean, hey, they just beat Russia at the Olympics. So uh, I get it. Hey, um, can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out our playlist on Spotify. Uh, it's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. There'll be another funky jam added to the playlist at the end of this episode. All right, let's get into our conversation with Dan Mackles here. <laughs> Joining us now, our guest for the week, we have Dan Mackles on the line. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Mackles. That's Dan, M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z. Dan, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. Like uh, I was saying before you started recording, I was glad that you guys invited me on. Love this team and, and love talking Canucks. So a uh, lot of stuff to talk about over the last, uh, geez, I guess, couple of months. So wherever you guys want to start, uh, let's let's get into it. Well, yeah, you said it, man. There is a lot to talk about, and we're recording on Wednesday, uh, the 26th of January, which is the day that Patrick Alvin is being brought on the team. But first of all, I just wanted to get a little background on yourself, uh, your history with this team, and just a little bit about the videos that you post online as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just Joe Blow hockey fan. I, uh, I, uh, I started following the team back uh, in late, uh, late 1988. My, uh, my parents dragged me to a uh, game over at the Pacific Coliseum, kicking and screaming. I just had no interest in it. My only experience with hockey was watching my older brother play in very cold arenas in Prince George. And I think that first moment I sat down and watched that game, uh, they played Calgary. They lost 5-3. And uh, I believe it was also the game where they lost uh, a friend of the team, Walter Babe Pratt. And uh, moving forward, they had the little babe uh, patched onto their jersey. And uh, I don't know, it was, I kind of had a connection with that because it was like, ah, oh, I, was, I was there when something happened. And it was the first time I ever felt like I was a part of something. And then from that point, moving forward, uh, that team was on the rise. It wasn't long after before we got Pavel Bury and our and our run to the cup. And you know, I've just I've just been a diehard ever since. And it's been heartbreak ever since too, <laughs> being a Canucks fan, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I mean, it's tough because we're so myopic with our our view of our team. You know, if you go around and look at uh, all the other fan bases of, of every other team, not only in the NHL, but across all you know sports, everyone's got their own misery. But I, I guess for us, it, it's it seems like it's been amplified, you know no no championships a lot of dark areas is one it looks like we're just coming out of so yeah it's 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 been a roller coaster ride for the past uh i guess moving into my fourth decade <laughs> ain't that the truth i mean you look at it like half the league hasn't uh won a championship roughly and i mean it, it hurts more for teams like the canucks and the sabers that have been in it for a lot longer and the canucks of course we three finals and and no cups. I mean, it's, it's, we all, we all know this. We don't need to start with, uh, with all the negative stuff here, but uh, it is, it has been a tough time. There's some uh, lights on the horizon. Um, just quickly with uh, the videos that uh, you put up there, uh, Dan, any kind of backstory with those? I think, uh, I think what inspired me to do that was, uh, you know, Canuck Twitter has a terrible reputation. And when you see a lot of people voicing their opinions, sometimes it's hard to, take exactly what they're saying in context because you're going to read into it digitally whatever emotion you're going through right so with uh everything that was going on to start the season how tragic it began um i was just feeling like i wanted to express myself in a way that was succinct like you could read my energy from a video as opposed to some long-winded you know multi-tweet rant and uh it just kind of went from there and you know some people watched it and some people kind of connected with it and i kind of like doing one every every now and again it's always nice to get some attention but i try to do one when i feel inspired to do so as opposed to just sort of i gotta do a video today i gotta do another video today it's like yeah then it kind of becomes disingenuous you know for sure. I mean, it's, it's the power of conversation and that's why we like doing this as well. And Doug and I have kind of done the same thing. We've skipped weeks in the past where we're just like, you know, don't really feel like doing it right now. And uh, uh, we just try and keep it fun and loose here as well. And again, this is just a conversation about a team we love, an entertainment brand, and it's something that we are all passionate about, but uh, it's a hell of a lot of fun. So let's start with the big news today, because I mean, there's been big news all week, but let's start with Patrick Alvine. Now, look, I'm no expert on Patrick Alvine. I probably know as much as the next person about this guy. But uh, what do you think, Dan? I mean, this is a rookie GM coming in from a successful organization. Um, first Swedish GM in league history. Uh, what are your initial thoughts about it? I, I think mine kind of line up with yours, Pete. Like, uh, I, I don't know much about the guy other than the few things that I've read. And when it comes to you know, new management, uh, I, I didn't know much about Jim Benning and other than he was a you know, journeyman defenseman that played here back in the late 80s. So uh, unless it's like a big name that we get with, you know, Rutherford coming in that has a track record and, uh, you know, a long resume, it's kind of like, let's see, let's give him a chance. You want to give... Uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt that they did their due diligence to bring this guy in who knows what he's doing. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I mean, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I like the hire. I don't know a lot about uh, Patrick Elvin either. I do like the fact that we have another European GM in the NHL kick a lot or kick a line in, in Columbus is the first GM uh, finished descent. I, I like that. I like that. You're seeing some of the old boys club, slowly changing. 
I'm sure we'll get into some of the other hires the Canucks have done in the last week or so as well. And how that's kind of, you know, changing the landscape of the NHL. I think it's important by all accounts. Elvin sounds like he's a very bright guy. He's been with the Pittsburgh organization, I believe since 2004, 2003. Uh, he's part of all three Stanley cups. They've won during the Sidney Crosby era. And obviously him and Jim Rutherford worked together in Pittsburgh while Rutherford was there. And they obviously had a really good connection. And I know Right off the bat, he was one of the first people Rutherford targeted as a guy he wanted to bring in for the GM role. I know it's been said from the beginning, and I think this is what maybe some Canuck fans have an issue with. It's that Rutherford probably does have the hammer at the end of the day to make any final decisions as far as if a player like JT Miller gets traded or a Brock Besser gets traded. It's going to be Rutherford who kind of has, you know, the final say in that it seems like. Do you have a problem with that though? Um, no. I, I think, yeah. I mean, it, titles don't mean much to me, right? Like I, I if we've got a competent guy like Rutherford, that's going to steer the ship. That sounds great to me. I think as well. I mean, how long have we been calling for more transparency and, and a buffer between ownership and management with this team, right? I mean, Jim Rutherford has the track record, but he is deliberately surrounding himself with a different cast of people. I don't think it necessarily means that at the end of the day, he's just going to go back to an old boys mentality. I think, I think he's there more to put the rubber stamp on it. If his team of people come to him and say, hey, we want to trade Miller. We want to trade Besser. Or we want to trade Mott or whatever it is. He's there just more to do the rubber stamp and make sure that everyone's, you know, dotted their I's and crossed their T's with it. I also think with Rutherford, he has said right from the beginning and the communication to the fans, I think is it's a breath of fresh air. I think during, you know, coming out of the Benning era and I'm not a guy that wants to slam Benning for everything he did. I do think he deserves some credit for some of the positives he did do, but the lack of communication to the fans was always a problem. Pete and I have talked about it for ages and Rutherford's the polar opposite of that. And one of the things Rutherford said right off the hop is that he wants discussion in the war room with co-GMs and scouts. He wants people to discuss and to debate why we should be taking this player over that player, why we should be signing this player over that player. Healthy debate and healthy discussion is good. And he said right from the beginning, you're not, we're not always all going to agree, but that's the point. The point is that we're going to push each other in different directions and hopefully come to an agreement at the end on what's going to be the best direction for this team moving forward. Okay, so with that, um, we've got the new management in place, which means they're going to start putting their stamp on the team. Let me ask you guys, where do you think this team's at? Like, how close do you guys think we are to contending? I think if, if history around the league with new regimes has taught us anything, that generally there's a bit of a blow-up factor when new management comes in. Like, remember, this is, this is the old regime's team, and... I think you have to ask yourself as a Canucks fan right now, where, where are we do like, where are we with the pieces and our cap flexibility and our prospects? And we, we certainly have some pieces, but I don't think that we're there with our prospect pool. Uh, I think last ranking I saw we're about 27th or 28th in the league right now is a lot of our top prospects have graduated. And I think there is something to be said that, Maybe you do look at moving some pieces. Uh, this is kind of similar. I mean, Harmon Dial, I don't know if you guys read that Harmon Dial article when he uh, he kind of compared what Vancouver 
could do to what Florida did. And Florida had some tough decisions when they let guys like Hoffman and, and Dadunov go uh, and was able to use that money and bring in other people and bring in some of their prospects and, and look at Florida now. And I think Vancouver is in a position where, you know, as much as it would pain me to trade a guy like JT Miller or a Bo Horvat or a Brock Besser, I think you have to look at all of them. And if you're saying, hey, this is the core of Hughes and Pedersen and Demko, and we're going to build out from that. You have to bring in guys that align more with that age group, even if it's only a couple of years uh, difference. And you also yeah. have to create some cap flexibility right now. And that's a big thing. Yeah. They, they, I think it was mentioned, right. Where uh, they want, I forget the term that Rutherford used was uh, view, uh, used something to do with uh, flexibility in the cap and the fact that they are so close to the cap with being a team that frankly, you know, they're, they're not in the playoff picture. It's great. The resurgence has been great. Um, my, my negative Canuck side of always hoping for the best, preparing for the worst uh, has got me kind of leaning towards, I just don't think the postseason is going to play out for us. Um, I mean, you take a look at what happened last night uh, against the Oilers. That was, that was tragic, but uh, yeah, there's, 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 Three pieces that we have that I think you have to build around, and that's the star center, which I believe is Pedersen, the you know elite defenseman, Hughes, and then uh, the goaltending. Everything else is up for discussion. Yeah, I also think that this team is in a different spot than where they were when Benning took over, right? When Benning took over, it was kind of the end of the line for that core, where this core is pretty much put together for the most part. There's obviously pieces you need to add here and there, but I still think the best days are ahead for the core of this team where that was kind of the polar opposite for when Benning stepped in. And I think the one thing that I'll give Rutherford credit for, at least so far, is he seems like he's pretty patient with trying to assess the team and what it's lacking and what it needs to move forward. And there's going to be some tough decisions here. I, I agree with what both of you guys said. I think you're only three players that you're not moving are Petey, Hughes, and Demko. I think everybody else is, is a tra tradable asset if the right piece is coming back or the right offer comes your way. I think you could trade any of the other players outside of those three. I think uh, you make a, a good point about the patience there, Doug. I mean, Trader Jim hasn't made a trade yet. He's rounding out his core of characters, and I think uh, that's a, a good sign. He wants to see what he has. He's not coming in and just being like, okay, bang, 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 yet. Um I think, you know, the team uh, and Dan, you mentioned uh, the quote from Rutherford and I can't remember it exactly, but it was something like being up against the cap and not in the playoffs is not a good situation to be in. And right now the Canucks are seventh in the wild card right now. And I mean, realistically, it's it's going to be very hard for them to make the playoffs and they need a lot of breaks. They need, need a, lot, a of lot of breaks. You need a super hot streak still. Uh, you need to leapfrog a lot of teams. Um, and I mean, it's not impossible. We're only just past the halfway mark of the season, but is that really the best move right now is to, I mean, Hey, if they, if they get hot with this roster, uh, and make the playoffs, there's no harm in that at all. That's great, but you shouldn't be loading up to, to make the playoffs. But it's also interesting too, when you have, uh, immediate success at perhaps the wrong time. Uh, you mentioned Doug about when Benning first came in and you almost wonder if one of the most hurtful things to this whole regime that uh, we just saw leave was the success they had in his first year. I mean, they were not expected to do as well as they did. They made the playoffs and people thought, oh, we're, we're, we're still close. 
just a couple little alterations here and there, and we can get right back in the hunt when in all reality, that was the death rattle for that team, that core. And they held on to too many guys for too long and they became, you know, depreciating assets. Now you take a look at what's going on right now with, you know, Bruce Boudreau coming in, the success the teams had, but you look at the asset like Miller, I, I, I think you got to move Miller and I, we get attached to our players. We get attached to guys when they do well, but you take a look at as far as managing assets. I always looked at Miller as nothing more than a middle, uh, it, like middle six guy, you know, could probably be, you know, third line on a good team, second line. He comes to Vancouver, you know, past his 25th birthday, I believe. And he puts up a career year. Ray Ferrero said this once, uh, and it was very, it, it was very true statement in that the reason they call them career years is because they happen once, right? <laughs> like that's the best one of your, of your career. I think if they were to get some decent assets for him now trade when he's still got value, that's going to set us up, you know, but as far as like, I think the three guys that um, have the most potential to bring back a good haul, I'm talking Besser, Horvat, and Miller. I, I, I wonder, do you move all three? Do, do you identify one and say, okay, we will keep him, but at the price tag they're going to get for where this team's at, it just doesn't fit. This is uh, this is going to be really intriguing to see. And you've already heard Rutherford allude to they have some difficult decisions. Look, I'm warming up more and more to the idea of trading Miller. Uh, I Obviously, it was very difficult, especially when the Canucks were struggling for the first couple months of the season. And JT Miller was by far and away uh, the best player not named Thatcher on the team. And he's still a fantastic player. The problem is, is that when Miller's contract expires, he's going to be 30 years old. And he is going to command a raise and the Canucks are not going to be in a position to give him that raise, nor should they when he's 30 years old. So the more I think about it right now, if you've got a team like the Rangers or the Bruins, who I think both have the assets to make a deal for JT Miller, and they're coming at you with a first and one or two prospects, especially if one of those prospects is a right side defenseman. I mean, geez, you got to do it. Yeah, I mean, the other question is, outside of P.D. Hughes and Demko, who has the most trade value on the Canucks right now? It's got to be Miller. Exactly. Yeah. Now, if you had to re-sign Horvat or Miller, who's going to command a higher salary? Horvat or Miller? Miller. Miller. Exactly. So you're going to get a better return. You're saving, let's say, a million and a half, $2 million on a future salary for if you extended him beyond next year. To me, it makes sense, right? And he's been probably the best Canuck forward since we acquired him. Point-wise, he has been, right? I mean, PD's had some incredible highs since Miller joined the team, but overall, Miller's been our most consistent, our most productive forward. And I do think he has changed a little bit of the culture in the dressing room for the better. Uh, I mean, the one thing I think a lot of fans and a lot of the players in that dressing room really respect is what he did last year during the first COVID outbreak the Canucks went through, where the NHL was trying to force them into games and Miller unprompted in an interview said, we're not ready to play. And the NHL needs to get their heads out of their asses and give us a day or two. I think that went a long way for a lot of the players in that dressing room. So I think, you know, even that what he's done in that dressing room and that impacted in that moment was really, really big and it's great. And hopefully it will develop some of the players in the dressing room to become better and more vocal leaders moving forward. 
But I think for the betterment of this team, I, I agree with both of you guys. I think Miller's the ch- asset that you probably got to trade in the long run. Yeah, so, and it's sorry. Go ahead, uh, Pete. Well, I was just going to say quickly. Then is you got to do that now. Then if that's the case, you're going to get more for trading him this year. I I think he's got to go now. I think you've got to move him at the deadline. That's that's just my personal opinion. Um, now it's interesting you were talking, Doug, there about uh, the the culture change, and you know it's pretty clear that he is a leader in that room, and you have to kind of balance between okay, well are we going to deal with a situation like we saw at the beginning of last season when you let guys like Markstrom and Tanev walk, who were obviously big leaders on the team. And we can say that perhaps that affected them. Uh, they felt like maybe they were a little bit rudderless to, to start the season. So with moving a guy like Miller, obviously that's going to have an impact in the room. Does that force your hand on, on keeping a guy like Horvat? And my question to you guys is, what do you guys think of Bo? Like, like, where do you really rank him as far as his importance to the team? Yes, he wears the C. Um, yes, he's kind of been like the freight, the face of the franchise as they've transitioned away from the Sedins. But I don't know. I, I, I sometimes I, I want more from what we what we get from him. Uh, just going from the first part of your question, Dan, uh, regarding if you were to trade Miller, would that affect the dressing room? I think that I'm hoping the leadership he's shown the last year and the fact that a lot of these young core players went through losing tan of last year, you losing March from last year, they'll be better suited and better prepared to see a guy like Miller leave. Right. That's kind of my thought. And I think Miller, one of the things that, and again, this is just me speculating from afar, but to me, it's like, he's trying to get more out of his teammates. He's trying to hold guys accountable. He's calling guys out, you know, for their play or their lack, of production. And I think that's, you know, you're just expecting more out of your teammates. So I think that, you know, hopefully he's trying to elevate those guys by making them more accountable uh, with Horvat. Horvat's interesting because I think Horvat's one of those guys that when he's on, he, he, he's producing and he's productive. He's a little streaky. I will say this though, with Horvat, he has been very good in the limit of playoff action. We've seen him in, he's been one of, if not our best forward in the playoffs and that's when you really want guys right i yeah. mean you think of guys step like, up when it counts exactly you think of guys different position but you think of like a willie mitchell who stepped up every year in the playoffs and you know i look at ryan kessler and sure kessler had a 40 goal season for the canucks but you know during that 2011 run i think kessler was you know our our heart and soul of that run and it was you know the injuries he ended up sustaining by the time we got to the finals that really i think hurt the canucks not going all the way can we not talk about 2011? <laughs> I just will say uh, with Kessler in the in uh, I won't talk about 2011 too long here, but that Nashville series about with Ryan Kessler was maybe the most dominant series by Canuck skater uh, I've ever seen. And with Bo, uh, that is a good point about the playoffs is that they're going to have to decide what to do though. Cause again, Bo is going to be 28 when he becomes a UFA here. He's not going to be a kid anymore, but the, the question they're going to be asking uh, is, do they want Bo to kind of be this legacy Canuck, you know, like kind of like a Jonathan Taves or a Claude Giroux? Well, Claude Giroux is maybe a bad example. I think he might be getting traded here. But, um, you know, one of these guys who is 
the heart and soul, the continuation of that. Um, the one thing with Bo as well is uh, his face-offs and his two-way. He does a lot of other things for the team, maybe too much in terms of the face-offs. There's sometimes, at least under green, where there's just times where, you know, Horvat was out there to take the draw and go to the bench. There's almost a little bit too much of that. Um, but this is something that the management's going to have to really decide is like, do we build it around? Is he our captain? Is he the guy that we build it around? I think the likelihood out of Besser, Horvat, and Miller, if they were to keep one, my money would be on Horvat uh, out of those three guys, though. I, I would prefer that. Now, it's interesting, you know, we mentioned Kessler, and I think um, for me, uh, coming out of, you know, that era that we had with Gillis and, you know, President's Trophies and being in the mix, um, a lot of people naturally sort of slot, well, we've got uh, Pedersen as our Henrik, and Horvat is our Kessler. And I, you know, I, I, I don't think Horvat is that um, he is, he's an interesting guy in the way that he is a big guy. Um, he does play 200 feet, but he doesn't play uh, defensively as well as a Ryan Kessler. And up until, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. He's still not a great penalty killer. And for what he is as a second line center, he's in this funny kind of tweener spot, right? Like he's never going to be a guy who is going to be on your first line, but yet he's too good to be a, uh, um, a third line shutdown guy. And yet I don't find him to be his defensive game to be as complete as a guy like Kessler. He's just, he's, he's an odd, he's an odd guy. It does, that's just the way I look at his game. And again, I like the guy. I think he's, I, I, I love his presence on this team, but. And, you know, uh, like something I've said on this podcast a lot is I think Pedersen is the more likely guy to win a Selkie trophy than Bo Horvat. I just really think that Pedersen has that potential. I've, I've said many times, I think his top end talent is akin to a Pavel Datsuk. I think that's kind of the player that he could if all the stars align and, and we get someone close to that. I think that he's the more likely one to uh, to win a Selkie trophy uh, than uh, Bo Horvat is. Again, I've mentioned this uh, many times. I'm Joe Blow hockey fan, right? <laughs> like I, I, I have played beer league at a very low level. I, I am never worked in management, but I have zero issues with what we're going to get out of Pedersen. I believe Pedersen is a foundational piece. Um, yes, he struggled. He's 23. So many young players uh, take a while to get their footing. Like you take a lot, uh, look at the Sedins. If we would have bailed on the Sedins after three years, we never would have had them become what they became, right? And Pedersen is way ahead of the Sedins. He will be fine. It's trying to figure out what to do with those complementary pieces that we will consider the core. Because it seems like the three of us are, are all in agreement with Pedersen, Hughes, Demko. Where do you go from there? So here's a question for both Dan and Pete. What do you guys think of Brock Besser and Besser being the guy you trade and you keep Miller and Horvat? Because the argument you could make with Miller is you can use him up and down the lineup. He can play center. He can play wing. He can play your third line if you needed it to. He can play your first line. He's a lot more versatile as a forward than Brock Besser. And Besser has been my favorite Canuck pretty much since he joined the team. Um, I, you know, you don't have too many players in the league that can score goals when he's on, like he can, do you guys think that Besser is maybe a likely trade candidate? And if you did want to trade Besser, what do you think is the likely return the Canucks could get for trading him? You first, Pete. 
Well, the pros with Brock Besser, uh, he turns 25 next month. So he's more in line with uh, the core of this team. He's a scoring winger, although he's, he's a very streaky scoring winger at, at that. He's not someone I find that you can really rely on to score all the time. Like uh, I think it's been a few games since his last goal as well. Um, I think, you know, if it was up to me, given that he needs a seven and a half qualifying offer. And that doesn't mean that he's going to hit that. He has to sign for at least seven and a half. That just means if he's not signed by the offseason, the Canucks need to offer a one year, seven and a half million dollar qualifying offer to him, which he could take uh, if he wanted to. Um, I, I personally, I would be in favor of if you're trading Miller, I would say, then let's also trade Besser um, what he could fetch. Uh, again, if you can get a first in a prospect for him, which I think you could uh, in some situations, I, I think you, you've got to look at that. So this is my opinion on Brock Besser. Uh, he was this shiny ray of light that first appeared when things were so dark that this team was just toiling near the depths of the league, not getting uh, the lottery, uh, you know, draft win, right. To get that first overall pick. But it's like, Look at this Brock Besser guy. He he came in and scored like four goals in his first handful of games. And he was this hope for the future. But then we got Petey. Then we got uh, Hughes and Demko. So I, I still think a lot of people attach that, um, that, that, that future and that hope for better days to him. I look at Brock Besser. He's a winger who can score 25 goals. And I'm not trying to be dismissive. Um, I I don't think he is worth the salary he's going to demand. And I think for, for, for me, right. Like I I always go down the middle when I think of building around a roster, right. And unless you're Alex Ovechkin, you don't build around a winger. Wingers are complimentary, right. And you take a look at some of the other guys, the pieces this team has on the wing uh, Garland. I mean, he he's, he's been a a nice surprise. I think uh, Hoaglander is going to be someone that, you know, is is maybe going to fit in that middle six range for forwards and hopefully pod Coles and, can be someone that you can slot into the top six. So uh, for me, while he still got some value, I would move Besser. And as far as getting a return, yes, draft picks. We all want draft picks. Draft picks are great, but I think you have to get a roster player for him. You have to get a roster player around the same age with the same sort of pedigree that you can plug in. I, I think at this point, just to ditch these guys for prospects and picks, is, is it means we're going through a big rebuild. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think you bring up a really good point, Dan, about when Besser first came to the team, he was this kind of shining light and what, what, what generally was a dark era for the Canucks. Like Horvat was still young and he was progressing, but he was still playing behind the Sedins. And yeah, this kid come in, lighten up the NHL scoring. I think he had like 24 goals his first year, 25 maybe. Still has not cracked 30 goals yet. And he had 29 uh, and he got injured right at the end. Like he was that's right, right on that cusp, right? The clutterbuck, the clutterbuck hit. And he's never really been the same since then, to be fair. Streaky, like he just like has, you said. Yeah, that's true. Um, you mentioned trading him for a roster player and a guy that seemingly would fit age-wise, positionally, and has been rumored to be attached to Besser is Matt Dumba. Would you guys pull the trigger on a one-for-one trade, Besser for Dumba? Besser goes back to Minnesota. We get that right-handed shot defenseman who's roughly the age of the core we're trying to build here. 
so, uh, you know, full disclosure, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I was up on absolutely everybody that was, I could tell you the healthy scratches for the New Jersey Devils, right? So I know Dumba by name. Obviously, I've watched him play when uh, Vancouver's faced off against Minnesota. You hear that name and you're just like, oh yeah, Matt Dumba, young, you know, defenseman that uh, looks like he'll be a top four. So I don't know, I, I don't know where he's at these days. I don't know how uh, his game has evolved, but yes, if you could get a young top four D that, I mean, again, he can't bank on these guys. Who knows how they're going to develop, but that is exactly what I would be looking for. What about you, Pete? Um, for me, it's, it's a no, I wouldn't do it. Um, just because oh, come I think, on. I, think uh, <laughs> I think you need to get younger. Uh, Dumba's three years older than Brock Besser. Uh, is he? Is he? There you go. Right. Yeah. So I, um, oh. And he's a UFA after next season. So he's on the same kind of uh, timeline as, as Horvat and Miller. Um, I think you got to go lower, uh, younger. I think, you know, you got to look more at guys like Brandon Carlo uh, or in that sort of age group, um, looking more for like a 22 to 24 year old right side. 100%. Defenseman. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah. I would I would be fine with that. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, we need draft picks. We want draft picks, but getting guys who fit who are already developed and fit in with the core also works. I mean, you, you need a bit of both right now. Um, but yeah, I would, I would look at, if you're saying, okay, we're, we're open to trading Miller. I think you also have to be open to trading Besser. And that one may not happen until the off season. Um, but I, I think there's uh, there's a good chance of that. Uh, I think really what's going to be interesting for uh, what management does is looking at a lot of these other guys uh, as well, like Tyler Mott, Tanner Pearson, uh, Jason Dickinson, uh, uh, Tucker Dickinson. Pullman, uh, Tyler Myers and OEL, uh, those guys, what do you do with all those guys? Cause none of those guys really line up with what we're talking about with the exception of maybe Tyler Mott. And I love Tyler Mott. I wouldn't be against the Canucks bringing him back on a reasonable deal. Um, but the other guys I think are all expendable and you could move, uh, and you're talking about trying to free up salary. So I think that's where the real interesting bits as well are going to come with this management group is how do they move some of these guys? And uh, what do they do with a lot of these guys that don't fit in with what we, at least the three of us, and I'm sure a lot of other Canucks fans is aligned as, as the core and age group for this team. I think the majority with the uh, most of the players you just named Pete outside of Tyler Mott, they all have too much term left on their deals. So in order to trade them to free up cap space, you're going to have to give up assets, whether that's draft picks or prospects. And the Canucks, unfortunately, just aren't in a position to do that right now. So that's why I think it's going to be hard for them to get out of a Tucker Pullman deal or a Tyler My Myers deal or a Tanner Pearson deal. But is it though? I mean, that's the thing is I think we think that, but uh, there could be teams out there who see a fit with some of these guys. And, and with the exception of OEL, None of the, and, and Myers, sorry, the other guys are all relatively reasonable cap hits. So I don't think it's completely impossible, but uh, I don't think the Canucks are, are willing in any of those situations to give up picks or prospects for those guys. I think they're going to be seeing more if, you know, maybe they can shop someone at the deadline. Uh, I mean, it, you never know, right? Uh, but I think if you're now get those are kind of more the guys or maybe you could get mid mid round picks or uh, a mid-level prospect for and freeze up the cap space. Cause that's something we've heard that Rutherford wants. And uh, that's something we know this team needs. And that's, and that's the unfortunate part about the, the, the state of, you know, sports these days is that, you know, when you're taking a look at, at deals and how to build this team, 
one of the first things you end up talking about is, well, what's he make? How long is the contract, right? And, and that's such a, a handcuffing thing that this team has to deal with, right? Like you look at a guy like Tyler Mott, you know what? We all love our, our fourth liners, right? We all love the backup goaltender. Like look at Martin. Everyone's like, oh my God, this guy's great. Because, you know, we don't think about the contract. We don't think about, you know, anything other than we don't have high expectations for them. Mott's great, but what's he going to command? Like, like, like he can easily get probably what? 2.5, maybe three. I'd you say, I'd say so. You, you can't, you can't pay that for a fourth line guy. You just, you, you have to try to mine those guys like they mind Mott. Yeah. Like maybe Highmore will be able to step up into that role. Right. Cause Justin Bailey, you know, yep. can they do it? That's the question. Right. But yeah, it's, um, I, I think it, as fun as this uh, turnaround has been, the roster as it's constructed is going to look very different uh, probably a lot sooner than some of us are prepared for. And as fans, we get attached to players, right? Especially the ones that we bring up uh, like the Bessers and, and Bo Horvats. But at the end of the day, I don't get attached to players like I did when I was younger. After they moved Pavel Bure, I was like, I will not attach my heart to anyone anymore. <laughs> so uh, I just want this team to win. That's what I want. I'm I'm with you. And yeah, I think uh, Pavel Bury, I think Doug and I both have him as maybe our all-time favorite Canucks as well. Although I got Kevin BX uh, uh, in that in that as well. Having said that, I love Pavel Bury. I met him on the day that he got his jersey retired. It was probably one of the most uh, nervous I have ever been to be in the same room with another human being. I still don't think his jersey should be hanging from the rafters. No one really? should wear it. No one should uh -huh. wear it. Because he, and I think the Canucks have too many jerseys retired for a team that has never won a Stanley Cup. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't think Naslin should be up there. I don't think Bury should be up there. I'm sure that's very controversial. But for a guy that hamstrung the team like he did, it just it just felt it just it just didn't feel right. And he doesn't love this team and we love him. And I think that's why I think that's why it shouldn't be up there. That's just my personal opinion. Look, I agree with you on Nasland, and I'll say Steamer as well. I know there's an old guard that would be like, what are you talking about? He was the first great Canuck. I don't think Smeal's number should be retired either. Burray's the only player, at least up to now, that's been a Canuck that's ever gone to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And so I, and I think Burray, I know what you mean, but I think there was also some business dealings behind the scenes that we that's don't hear from the Burray side and from the Canucks side. I think both sides got a little bit petty at the end there. And then Burray just said, you know what, you know, I've, I've put my heart and my you know body on the line for this team and you guys don't want to extend me or give me a fair deal. I want out. And it happens. Unfortunately, it's, it's kind of like what we see now with Ryan Kessler. Right. And he's kind of been ostracized from this organization, but I still think, I don't think his number should be retired, but I, I think honestly, Kessler should be in the ring of honor one day. Got no problem with that. I think, yeah. I, I think that, no, like, when it comes to Jersey retirements, I think you've got for this team, uh, you have to be a captain of uh, uh, a group that went to the finals. <laughs> Again, I know Smeal technically wasn't the captain in 82. I think it was Kevin McCarthy, but like Lyndon, uh, Henrik, and, uh, and, and Smeal, that's about it, right? Well, so you wouldn't even give one Daniel, okay. Uh, okay. Sorry, and Daniel, right, and Daniel. But, uh, <laughs> I was like, that's very controversial. <laughs> too, too, many, too many jerseys uh, hanging in the rafters for a team that hasn't won anything. Because what happens, what happens when this team finally wins a, a cup? We're going to have bronze statues of every member <laughs> out front of uh, Rogers Arena, right? Yeah. It's a fair point you make. It is that, you know, we do have, what, five jerseys now of retired players and we've never won a cup. So it is a fair argument, but 
yeah, I mean, the, and again, the 10-year-old in me is still saying Beret's jersey. I hear you. I hear you. I, I, I'm, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, still. I'll tell you what happens when the Canucks win the cup. I'm going to wake up five days later on English Bay wearing nothing but my Canucks jersey and uh, <laughs> wondering what the hell just happened. I will say the Canucks have been around for uh, 50-something years. A lot of these jersey retirements are marketing moves as well. I mean, and that, that obviously leads to the debate. Look, I, I don't even know if Linden should uh, have it. I mean, the Sedins certainly are, are worthy <laughs> of it. But look, I mean... If you take it, if you're comparing the standard, like when I say that about Linden, if you're comparing the standard to other organizations, yeah, maybe uh, it, it's it's not the same. But if uh, this is a, a really passionate fan base and, the you know, there's a whole decade there of, of people who want Steamer, there's a whole decade of people who want Linden, there's a whole decade of people who want Bury. a part of it is marketing and uh, an appeasing uh, ravenous fan base as well. And uh, I think that that's a, a big part of, of, of why we have so many numbers up there. Um, I just wanted to kind of shift gears here, though, guys, and talk about a couple of other things that have happened the, this past week. Um, first of all, uh, we had another hiring. And of course, I'm going to mess up her name because that's what I, I always do. Uh, Emily uh, Castengay. Is that is that right, guys? Can someone tell me if I said it right? Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> Emily, Emily C. Um, that's usually what I do when I start screwing up players' names is I just go with their first name and last initial. Um, assistant GM, uh, again, this is a, another kind of new ground for the team. First female assistant GM in team history. Uh, big background in contracts. Uh, former Canuck Antoine Roussel was one of her clients and said nothing but great things about her as well. Um, but again, like I'll, I'll just kind of start this off here. Uh, different voice, different perspective, different background coming in here, which uh, again, I think is really good. And I just like seeing a team get rounded out here in uh, the head office with a lot of different backgrounds and ideas. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Doug. Uh, she's also the first accredited agent by the NHL, female agent uh, by the NHL, which I think is a huge thing. Look, I don't know a lot about her. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm sure most of us didn't know a ton about her to be fair. I mean, maybe you guys did. I don't want to assume, but Everything I've heard about her, she is extremely impressive, extremely bright, very smart. And, you know, you listen to her story about how she had Vancouver written on a board, you know, and there was another story about her sister, apparently, who she tragically lost years ago. And there was a story about her sister telling her that she was going to work in Vancouver for the Canucks one day, or she wanted her to work in, you know, for the Canucks one day. And that always stuck with her. I think that was like 10 years ago, just before her sister passed away. And then she, she, she just seems very determined, very bright. And, you know, I, I think this is a tremendous hire from the Canucks and from everybody I've seen talk about her. She's extremely impressive. Yeah, I think for, for me, I fall back to when we were talking about the hiring of our new GM. I mean, I, I, I don't know much about uh, her background. Uh, I think it, it's positive um, with her history in dealing with contracts. I mean, this, this, this team over the last eight years has historically signed some terrible contracts. So much like when Gillis came in and, and he had his background as being a player agent, he was able to get some fantastic deals, which helped this team get so close. So if she can bring that to the table, fantastic, right? And she also got um, Antoine Rossell his deal in Vancouver, right? So a lot of people were saying, well, hey, if she could squeeze that kind of deal out of Vancouver, then she clearly knows what she's doing. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, Pete. There is something uh, as well about player agents becoming 
a part of management more so in the last decade. And, you know, we talked earlier about the salary cap era and how it's unfortunate that, you know, we can't talk about team and rosters without the salaries, but that is the reality of the game. And someone who comes from a player agent side obviously knows this the CBA and how to work it inside out. And that is, like you said, uh, uh, one of you guys said there about how the, this team has not had good contracts for uh, a lot of the Benning era. And it's something that was a very much a hole in this organization. And hopefully she's uh, the one who can kind of plug that. And uh, uh, again, I think this is just something that you're going to see more and more as agents making the jump to management positions with uh, NHL teams. And, and I think it's just with this whole filling out of the roster. And uh, it seems like we'll have a better understanding of, what do you guys do here? Which at times was a, a mystery with the previous regime. And uh, I'm like you, Doug, I don't, I don't feel like jumping on Benning or, you know, I, I, I just, I just want this team to succeed. Right. And it, it looks like you have a different feeling. Whereas for the last three years, anyways, I was always kind of like fingers crossed going, I, I, I think they're doing something right here. I, I, but I don't, I don't have that feeling. I don't know if that's just new car smell, but uh, this feels good. Well, and again, it feels like a larger team. I mean, we can joke about it, but I no one really did know what John Weisbrook did uh, with with the team. Um, more voices and buffer between management and ownership were two things that were really sorely lacking. And it feels like we're finally heading in that direction. And uh, it, it feels really good. Hey, uh, one of the last things I wanted to talk about here, uh, a, a pretty good feel, good story. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get him a win again. Um, but Spencer Martin coming up uh, again against the Oilers last night, uh, 50 saves. Um, he has looked fantastic, I thought, in uh, the limited action that we've seen him over the past week. It's, it's a good story, right? It's it's so nice to see a guy that, what, I don't think he had played since what the 2016-2017 season or something like that. It's some of five years out. And he's um, he's looked a little lucky. Uh, at times, uh, he seems to be sliding a little bit out of position to make saves and the team's been collapsing to the front of the crease to try to clear away some juicy rebounds that have been sitting there. But what a bummer that uh, they weren't able to get him his first NHL win against Florida and especially that one last night versus Edmonton. I don't know about you guys, but that was an incredibly frustrating game that it looked like they they had the Oilers right where they wanted. And uh, I don't I've always respected McDavid for his talent, but uh, I he's starting to rub me the wrong way. And uh, I, I think, you know, I've never been a guy that jumps over the uh, jumps on the refing, but I tell you, that was a, that was a frustrating game to watch. I don't know how you guys felt. Yeah, I, I agree. I would say that we saw a similar action from Sidney Crosby about 10, 12 years ago, where he started to try to, I don't want to say wine, but he started to really try to play the refs more to his side. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more from McDavid. I think the difference with Crosby though, and this was back when I was really locked into what was going on. I remember buying the NHL center ice package and I, I couldn't wait to watch the penguins because of, you know, that, that young core that was coming together. Crosby looks much more, was much more willing to fight through things than McDavid does. Um, and uh, yeah, you can, all the greats, all the greats are going to whine because they're the ones that are holding on to the, uh, the puck the most and, and creating, um, you know, all the chances everyone's going to be focused on them. But I, I look at those two guys in Edmonton and uh, 
everyone looks at these two generational talents. They are very skilled, but they have yet to prove that they can elevate their game. And you take a look at uh, another dynamic duo from the, the, the 90s in Sackick and, and Forsberg. Dreisaitl, he, that guy for his size should be an elite power forward. To me, uh, he looks like a perimeter guy. He's not a guy that that really takes over the the play like say Bertuzzi did for those handful of years with using his size and his physicality or Peter Forsberg, right? Their ability to fight through things and uh, watching them just their body language and 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 how they carry themselves on the ice. I'm like, I don't, I I just don't know if you can win with these guys. Now maybe I'm talking about my mask. Maybe it's sour grapes, but I I don't know. What do you guys think about that? It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Edmonton this year. Um, I'm of two minds with uh, with the McDavid and the refs. Uh, there's a part of me that gets really frustrated by a lot of the clutch and grab in hockey that just keeps going against the best players. I want to see the best players be the best players. Um, what I, I didn't like uh, last night is, uh, again, and this is an NHL thing, and I, I mean, we could do a whole podcast about this, is the inconsistency with calls, uh, how a call, a penalty is, is at one point in the game, but not at another from the players. It's really, really frustrating. Um, I'm much more of a fan of the way games are called internationally, how a penalty is a penalty just across the board. I would love to see the NHL do that. Um, I think as well with betting coming more into hockey and uh, as we're seeing in Canada and the States, I think that's something that the league is going to have to look at down the line. There's going to be something that causes a problem and uh, is a controversial call that sways a game, sways a lot of books. And I think the NHL is going to have to eventually start getting their penalty calls more in line. A penalty is a penalty at any point in the game. And you're going to see if that happens when the NHL changed rules back uh, 15 years or so ago, there were games where teams were getting seven, eight, nine power plays on the regular for a while until it got sorted out. And that's going to happen. And there's going to be growing pains with it. But uh, for me, uh, I want to see the best players be the best players and a penalty should be a penalty at any point in the game. No, I agree with you. Like uh, there's the, the, you know, what took place in the dead puck era was terrible to watch, but uh, getting back to what you started with, uh, with Martin, um, it looks like Demko is not going on the trip. So uh, Halak will meet them, I believe. So it looks like we're going to have some more, some more Martin in our future. Do you guys think the recent play with of Spencer Martin makes it easier to trade a guy like Halak now that you seemingly have what could be a decent backup for the rest of the season? If if you're talking about creating cap space, uh, what's got two more games before his his bonus kicks in? Seems like a no brainer at this point. Like I, I, again, I would love to see this team make the playoffs. I personally don't think it's going to happen. I don't think you sacrifice uh, what we could, what we could do as far as moving guys that we've talked about Miller Besser to set ourselves up for, you know, future success. So if you can get something uh, for Halak, do it. Right. You know, that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, the Spencer Martin play has made it um, easier for sure. But um, the thing as well with Halak, remember, full no movement clause. He's got to agree oh, to go right. um, right. yeah. wherever. I think it's going to be a difficult one to move, especially with his bonuses that Good point. Uh, could roll over on the next year, depending on the team's cap situation. Um, but uh, it, it is nice to see what do you do with Spencer Martin as well now. Um, but you may have a guy who's ready to go into the backup role next year, and it may not be Mikey DiPietro, who a lot of us kind of thought as well. But a uh, really nice story from what we've seen. Uh, the school of Ian Clark is alive and well in Vancouver. 
just let's I just want to see him get that W. Just 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 come on. We all want to see it. I, we've got Phoenix next. So I, I don't know if they're going to throw him back in for that. But come on, let's get this guy a dub. I hear you, Dan. We got to let you go. Um, but anything you want to say to everyone out there before we bid adieu? No, I've, again, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me on. Uh, it's, it's nice to talk with fans that seem to kind of have a, a more calm demeanor when it comes to expressing <laughs> their, their passion for the team. So uh, yeah, if, if you guys want to follow me, like I said, uh, I'm on Twitter. I love to talk uh, Canucks. I'm at Dan Mackles and uh, yeah, um, let's just, uh, let's see what we can do here. Uh, anyways, have a good one guys. Cheers, Dan. Thanks again, bud. Thanks for joining us. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about a show that was recommended to me and I've watched the first season um, from my work colleague who's with me in Toronto named Andy. And it's a really cool show. It's called Deutschland 83. And essentially, it's, it, it's a show about East and West Germany in 1983. And there's a young German soldier who lives on the east side, who was sent to West Germany to be a spy for East Germany. And it's just really cool. And you see the German political influences on one side, you see the American political influences on the other side, and you see the Russian political influences on the other side. And it's like, you know, you've got these young German people that are still trying to find their identities, and they're kind of caught in the middle between, you know, the Americans and the Russians pulling the strings with what's going on in their country and their country's divided. And yeah, it's a really cool show. Uh, Deutschland 83 is season one, which I've just finished. Uh, apparently there's a Deutschland 86 and a Deutschland 89. So they did three seasons, 83, 86, 89. So far, 83 is awesome. And I'm looking forward to starting Deutschland 86. 89 would be interesting too that was the the fall of the berlin wall so uh, that sounds interesting it sounds like something i would watch uh, but i generally end up watching the same old things um i actually uh just calling an audible i'm gonna i wanted to just use the freeport to say happy birthday to my niece and nephew uh they live in scotland i haven't seen them in a number of years as you can imagine but the last time i saw them was exactly three years ago and i showed up in edinburgh to surprise them for their birthdays um and now here we are three years later it's been a, a long time uh it's funny because like my niece born in edinburgh born on robbie burns day uh on the 25th and then my nephew born the next day uh the 26th which is australia or occupation day uh down under as well um which is something that i've been a part of m- quite a few times down in australia so it's always kind of neat for me this week um but it's also just a reminder that geez it's been three years since i've been over to scotland that's going to change i'm going to scotland this year one way or another um i can't wait so hey happy birthday leo and rosa i'm gonna see you guys at some point this year
Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 102, just about in the books. And thanks again to Dan Mackles for joining us. Uh, that was a really good conversation. Just uh, a really articulate Canucks fan, really passionate. Um, and it's always just, you know, it's fun to bring on guests who just like to talk Canucks because that's what we like to do. Yeah, I mean, Dan, like you said, was very articulate, very well-spoken. Had a couple of controversial takes when it came to jersey (laughs) retirements. But hey, man, it made for great conversations. And I think he did bring up some valid points, even though I don't agree entirely. But he did bring up some really good points. And, you know, I think that's what you and I have always wanted to do with this podcast, Pete, is just have good conversations with fellow fans, you know. And we might not always agree, and we expect not to always agree. But we have, you know, civil, cordial conversations. And... You know, we just want to amplify each other's voices. And, you know, at the end of the day, I believe you tweeted about this today, Pete. You know, we're all fans of this team. And I know for a fact when this team finally, you know, crescends to the top of the mountain hill and hoists the Stanley Cup, you know, I'm going to be dancing in the streets, high-fiving complete strangers. As you said, Pete, hugging anything in sight. Like, that's going to be me. I mean, I remember when we were at the Slay the Dragon game. And there were the two gentlemen who often sat in front of us uh, where our season tickets are. And I think there have been a couple times over the courses of the year where the Canucks would score and you'd stand up and you accidentally spilt a little bit of a beer on one of the guys. And obviously, you know, ever since then, he was kind of very short and curt towards you. But I remember when Burrow scored that goal and holy hell, man, you guys were hugging and jumping up and down like you guys were like all old college buddies who hadn't seen each other in like two decades. And that is what I think all of us Canuck fans are hoping it's going to be like when we finally win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's very true. And I, I, I you know, I, I'm always a half glass full of fan and I like to think that, hey, this week we're getting at least on the right path or at least on a new path and geez i i can't wait till that moment when uh i just i just hope i'm uh, i'm alive to see it i'll tell you that that's a, <laughs> it's uh we haven't seen it yet and every year i get a year older and i'm like it's not gonna be this year maybe next year but um yeah it was it's nice to the power of conversation comes across a lot better than it does on uh, social media or texting or anything else and i honestly think a lot of the times when you see people having beefs about the team on uh twitter it's like if you got these people over a beer or a coffee or something i'm not sure they'd actually be friends because hey it's uh at the end of the day you're both passionate canucks fans so um everyone just sometimes needs to just take a deep breath and remember what this is all about yeah, I mean, you would always say this, Pete, you know, you can't convey tone in email or text. And often I think that's one of the issues with a platform like Twitter. You can't convey someone's tone. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Speaking of uh, tone and, and everything else, um, I, I try and keep it down the middle. And you can also follow our playlist on Spotify, the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. All the outro tracks end up there. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.